Welcome back to another edition of the Round the Block podcast from Coinbase. I'm Justin Mart. And I'm Catherine Wu. And this week, we're going to be chatting with a protocol specialist on kind of the, a look back on 2021, a lot of the big themes we saw happen. Um, super excited for that. Okay, well, who, are we ch- who are we chatting with? So we're chatting with Elias, uh, Elias Simon, and he is a protocol specialist actually here at Coinbase. Um, and uh, he put out a really amazing uh, 69 charts of 2021. Um, and I thought this was a pretty fun follow-up to actually last week's episode with Maria because hers was on developer activity. And I think Elias was a, a lot around uh, looking at um, volume in terms of like trading volume or like dollar denominated volume. So I think it's a pretty good contrast. Um, and I think it's pretty fun to see uh, two different ways that data can tell narratives. And we're carrying it both a look back and also into 2022. Yeah, I'm actually particularly excited to hear what a what somebody deep in the weeds thinks about what happened in 2021, shows us the real data behind it. And by the way, you can see his 69 chart epic Twitter thread by going to his Twitter page. He's at Elias Simus, only one S in that, Elias Simus. And um, follow along for yourself. Speaking of, you know, 2021 and 2022, uh, I want to just like quickly address the elephant in the room, just because I'm sure you're probably getting frantic texts from your friends as well, which is what is going on with the crypto market? Yeah, this is always kind of a cyclical topic, right? I mean, it's it's either, oh, my God, look at the crypto market, how excited we are, or wait a minute, is the sky completely falling? (laughs) Yes, it's literally what should I buy or, oh, my God, should I sell? Yeah. How poor am I going to be or how rich am I going to be? Yeah, it's, it's one of these weird things. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I mean, how do you approach it? Yeah. You know, I mean, we've both been in this industry for a long time, right? Um, I always feel like it's it's a bit of a mistake to focus on price. Um, one of my central central sort of frames here is that crypto prices are a reflection on how society views crypto's potential. It's not a reflection on the fundamental value of what crypto is providing. Those are two different things. And it's really important to separate that because the markets, if it's a reflection of society, well, society is very uh, reactive. <laughs> they they kind of tend to kind of swing wildly from optimistic hope to pessimistic despair. And so you get these huge swings in the markets, but it's really just a reflection on how all of us collectively together are thinking about the optimism behind crypto and its potential to hit its, its sort of um, potential, right? Uh, I take the view that it's better to focus on the fundamental value of what crypto is doing, the technology behind it. And that helps me steady the ship, right? When the prices go up, I'm actually a little bit more subdued. I'm like, well, the fundamental value is accruing, but probably not that much. And then when the prices go down, I'm like, well, the prices are crashing, but boy, is there so much fundamental value happening here. I have long-term conviction that that's going to come to fruition. And so I can ride out these deep winters that we've seen in the past just because I have such belief and conviction in the space. Yeah, I mean, my approach is, I mean, first of all, crypto volatility, you're feeling it for the first time, like, welcome to crypto, right? Like, <laughs> um, this is kind of like a rite of passage. Um, but also, you know, like, uh, I think maybe even a few years ago, I feel like I may have been a little bit more rattled than I am today. And I'll tell you why. It's because like, um, over the years, I've seen just how much whether it's like companies or technical infrastructure that has been built, right? And like I think today, especially in like 2021, like there are so many companies that are built in crypto that 
like technically speaking, would actually not have been feasible just two, three years ago. And so like when you actually think about like, okay, like what are the rails that like are underlying um, the crypto economy and ecosystem? It is so much more robust than it ever was. And so like, I think just being able to see that and being on the front, being, you know, lucky enough really to be on the front row of talking to experts um, like Elias or like, like other builders actually give me sort of confidence that we're going to be okay. And, um, you know, I was also thinking about like, okay, like when was the last time I really freaked out about price? Um, so many times over the past few years. Um, but I it's really- It's a rite of passage, yeah. It is a rite of passage, but also just, you know, like being in the ecosystem, actually paying attention to what's being built, pay, paying attention to the sustainability of the like things that are being built really gives me confidence. I also think you raise a really good point, right? I think that you and I have a bit of an advantage because we're working in the industry. We can see the fundamental value happening. I mean, we, as you say, we can see the companies that are being created even just a couple of years ago that never would have been possible prior to crypto. We can look at that and go, oh my gosh, this is a technological innovation that cannot be stopped, or we feel like it can't be stopped at least, right? Um, and so it gives us a little bit more more conviction. All the stuff we touch on are really like um, trends that we're seeing in real time too, whether it's, you know, if we look back, like we think about DAOs we've covered, we covered NFTs, gaming, like developer activity. Um, we talked about multi-chain, the multi-chain so world. Yeah, yeah, like these are all trends. And I think the hope is that honestly, like we share these, you listen, everyone just like has a good understanding um, of what's happening. So like when the prices, even though they are volatile, you you remember that like there are real things being built. There are real solutions that are being thought out. And there are a lot of people and a lot of talent in the space. That's why we're excited about the podcast is we want to share with the world the knowledge that we're seeing and the people we're talking to and the insights that we have. Partly because, by the way, if this is going to succeed, we want everybody to share in the success. And it raises another point, too. It's that, you know, when you are new to crypto or when you're not as deep in the weeds as we are, things are very confusing. And that only magnifies the worry you feel when prices drop because you're wondering, oh, is there some fundamental problem with crypto? Because you don't quite understand all the complex things in the space, which, by the way, nobody understands everything. It's so complicated. But you and I have such an advantage because we actually can see through the noise to see the truth, you know, and we can recognize that, no, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with this industry. It's just the markets being markets. And so that's another thing to remember is, you know, we have an unfair advantage. But if you don't quite understand everything, try to find people that you do know that can trust, that do know the space well, listen to great podcasts and um, try to get some conviction in the real technology behind it. So with that all behind us, let's get the discussion started with Elias. Let's do it. Elias is like our colleague at Coinbase, like, you know, he's also a protocol specialist. Um, and so part of it is like, you know, Elias is literally relied on as the expert to like really know all the like what's happening across all the different like layer ones and like in the crypto ecosystem. Um, but aside from just, uh, you know, having to know this for your job, I just wanted to know like what motivated you to put together almost like 70 charts and how long have you been tracking it and where did you even find these sources? So like I look at charts very often. I'm like, I'm data driven. I like to look at data to make decisions and understand what the what the hell is uh, is going on. And um, back in 2019, uh, I worked with my friend uh, Taratan from from IDEO to put together like a group of you know industry experts, investors, founders, entrepreneurs, um, to uh, get them all together and, and publish a uh, report on the state of adoption. And the report was actually called the state of adoption 2019. And the idea there was to just tell a story of where crypto 
was at that point in time, but just tell it through data. And what was what was really great about that was that, you know, when enough people come together and bring their perspectives, you get closer to the truth because a lot of the stuff, even the charts that we looked at, we look at like even the charts that I posted, there's subjectivity in them. You can you can spin them in all kinds of, of different ways if you try real hard. That exercise helped me see that, hey, DeFi is actually happening and it's going to happen in a big way in the year to come and catch like a few underlying threads that helped me navigate the space as kind of time uh, went by. And so in 2020, I didn't actually have the time to, to do that. And, you know, the year closed and uh, uh, time, time went on. And throughout the year, I felt like I didn't have that, uh, that compass that I did in 2020, having done the work in 2019. And so, you know, uh, uh, I found some time uh, over the Christmas break. And I was like, well, this is, well, this is the time to, to do it. And granted that I look at data a lot and there's, we're so fortunate to have much, much richer data sources like Dune Analytics and so on um, uh, in, in, in 2021 and 2022 it was much easier to actually put it all together. Yeah, honestly, you've got, I think, the coolest job title out there, protocol specialist. Like, <laughs> the nerd in me is just, like, really excited about that job title for some reason. Um, but, uh, hey, I also feel like there's no real substitute for actually doing the work, too. I remember when I was a data analyst, you know, I put together a lot of graphs and, you know, slides or whatnot on, on data that we're seeing at Coinbase. But it's always nuanced when you present it to somebody. There's always something under the scenes that maybe is glossed over by this one graph, one chart, right? And so actually doing that work is much more informative for you than it is for the rest of the world that just sees that one data point. So I'm actually really curious, given your hands on with all the real data here, what do you see coming? Tendermint, I see coming. Uh, I see more generally the concept of like application specific blockchain, whether that's like a roll up on that's attached to ETH2 or whether that is properly, you know, fully fleshed Tendermint chain with its own validator set and so on. Um, there's there's a lot pointing to uh, that being a big part of, of what's coming and the future. Uh, and kind of, I think the two data points that really spell this out is kind of the growth in Tendermint, overall Tendermint TVL. Um, so with things like Osmosis and then Yumi, which is a lending protocol that's coming and so on, um, the opportunity cost of actually building your own app chain, which in the past was I'm not able to access any of the utilities that exist in kind of like the Ethereum DeFi world, right? Like liquidity via DEXs, lending via lending protocols and all the other cool stuff that we uh, we see on, um, on, on Ethereum DeFi. Now you're able to access those, right? And then you get all the malleability and all the customizability that kind of building your own uh, app chain actually gives you. And then at the same time, you have uh, things like, you know, uh, DYDX's uh, StarkX uh, deployment, which has been absolutely printing for them um, and is doing great. And it's offering their users great utility. It's merging kind of like this off-chain and on-chain uh, capabilities in a, in a in a fantastic way, especially if bigger uh, 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 companies like traditional enterprises from the Web two world and so on decide to actually make a um, uh, a big leap into this Web three world. This will be the way that they actually interact with it. You put together this great report, this great Twitter thread. Um, what are kind of those really big inputs 
that had ripple effects across the space. What tilted the scale was clearly like NFTs from a user perspective, right? Like that was a huge event in, in, in 2021. So OpenSea doing something like $15 billion of volume in a year, which is like maybe like 100, 200, multiple 100x, multiple in what they did in, in, in previous years. By the way, isn't that like completely insane? Like what other industry do you get 100x in a year? I mean, 10x is even just completely surprising, but 100, it's just, <laughs> we lose context, right? For these numbers. <laughs> 100%. Um, so, so that was like a big, uh, uh, event in, in my mind, um, on the user end, again, another like huge development was meme coins, right? Like, you know, starting with like the Elon Doge story at the beginning of the year, and then kind of like, you know, spinning off SHIB, which ended up being in, at the top 10, which is like absolutely, uh, unreal to me that that happened, but Hey, like, I mean, you know, crazier things have happened. But, but again, losing context right on numbers, I mean, getting into the top 10 as a meme coin, for like a, a brand new meme coin for that copycat meme coin SHIB, right? That's again, quite, we just lose context. It's just crazy. I mean, th that's not crypto specific. Like I just think in general, in the past year, we saw like pretty crazy retail social behavior change when it comes to investing. And so you saw some of that in crypto through like Dogecoins and like sort of the other like uh, <laughs> meme coins, but also in the traditional stock markets, like with AMC, and a bunch of like other so I think like meme coin in my mind is like both crypto and also uh, stock market, but more so like an underlying like social investing uh, retail behavior. One thing I really like about about meme coins is the idea that like, memes have existed for how long in like the, uh, you know, in the current definition, uh, you know, popular images or ideas that spread through the internet in a like lightning fast speed, right? And spreading through the internet means that like they occupy attention space in millions of people's heads. So memes are extremely powerful. And for 10 years, there was literally no way for them, for us to like understand how much value a meme actually has, right? And, and, and this development of like meme coins, now you have like, this is why I'm so fascinated and I've like, oh, since I started like paying attention to the space and then like falling down the rabbit hole and so on, I've always been fascinated with tokens because tokens are really like, like empty vessels for things to, you know, fill them. And, and those things are usually ideas, frameworks and something, you know, maybe something that unites people into like a common, common goal. And sometimes that's a dog, a picture of a dog. Um, so that was super interesting to me uh this year that you were able to actually like put a price tag on on the power of that meme and the power of that idea as silly as it as it may be one of the other more powerful memes is actually do you guys remember constitution dow like that's just a gigantic like meme but that raised what 40 plus million dollars um from in the in the matter of I think like it was like four or five days. Insane, yeah. It's also really fascinating too. If I were to pick it, by the way, if I were to pick it, some of the really surprising things in crypto that would have been like I would have never predicted. One of them would have been, of course, the rise of meme coins because I, you know, never really thought they were that powerful until this year. But also, yeah, this Constitution DAO. Not only did it raise money to buy the Constitution, when they didn't get the Constitution, they were kind of rug pulled, right? Well, then the token became a meme coin. It became something that the community galvanized around. And it, to me, it's such a perfect example of like the power of community formation in crypto. So it's a little bit of just this like societal reflection of how this new technology is interacting with community formation. Um, 
On that too, by the way, Elias, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you mentioned meme coins, right? As a big input, a big rock this year and NFTs. And I think they're combined, right? I wonder, right, does do, does the meme coin movement impact the rise of NFTs where NFTs could be seen as, hey, maybe you can own a meme, so to speak, or maybe there's some sort of connection there, right? I think we're only scratching the surface of, of what is and will be possible using these technologies and these trends that we're seeing. And I, I quite frankly have no idea how they're going to develop, but I know that they're going to develop in interesting ways. For example, in Constitution, that price is like this really interesting metric that embeds like a ton of information in it, right? Like since prices have existed and specifically like, you know, as markets developed and so on. So a lot of the price action in 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 those memes uh, and meme coins, you see like a like a big pump in the beginning, which kind of mirrors the excitement of the crowd. And then they fizzle out like old memes and like, you know, ideas that don't have like permanence and structure and uh, uh, all that good stuff behind them do um, eventually. So um, meme coins and NFTs and social tokens and so on are amazing in getting people excited and, and, and pulling a community thread together. But like one of the other common threads that you saw like around NFTs, PFPs, loot, meme coins and so on is that excitement dissipated after a while, right? And there was there was no permanence to the initial or no staying power to the initial excitement in varying degrees. But as a rule, all these things have dissipated and so so did prices. After all, though Safe Moon, for example, which I think is one of the charts that I used, uh, rested at a one billion dollar uh, fully diluted valuation, which is absolutely insane uh, if you think about it. Yeah, I I think um, this actually leads pretty well to another really big narrative of 2021, um, and I'm going to set it up. Like I want to talk about airdrops, but I'm going to set it up, which is that like um, you know with the so again, bringing it back to like, just like zooming out of crypto, like with the meme stocks, whether it's like GameStop or AMC, like there's a combination of factors, right? It's like, as you said earlier, Elias, like money printer goes burr. Um, there is the, like, obviously like the pandemic, everyone's sitting at home, they're spending more time online, um, stimulus checks. So, you know, all of a sudden it's like, where are people getting this money? So I think in the traditional world, there are a couple of factors and you bring it to the crypto world. You think about how many billions worth of airdrop, uh, tokens were really dropped to the hands of so many users um, and how much value and how many I think like newly minted um, crypto millionaires happened just by way of either airdrops or, you know, the X to earn model. Um, so anyways, that's a long setup, but I want to dig into like just airdrops and the value that it has really created through this type of mechanism. Yeah. And it goes, it goes, it goes back to that, uh, that token idea that I was talking about earlier, right? That they're empty vessels and then they they get value when they're in some sort of framework and and with people around them and so on. So yeah, airdrops look like they are the web three native to do sort of user acquisition, right? Like the first one. So kind of tying back to uh, what I was talking about earlier, like the work that we did in 2019 uh, with the state of adoption report, uh, one of the conclusions was that uh, progress in, in in crypto, as it was colloquially known back then, um, is super encouraging. There's so many interesting things happening, but we haven't yet seen a crypto native uh, uh, user acquisition uh, methodology, right? Whereas 
you know, these things are very, very uh, mature in the Web2 world through like, you know, Google ads, Facebook ads and, and, and all that good stuff. Airdrops are really kind of the first Web3 native uh, way. And they can, uh, they can go, if 2021 showed us anything, is that they can go uh, in, in so many ways. They can go well, they can go not so well, they can go extremely poorly and, and leave many people um, uh, unhappy. So um, one airdrop I really sort of focused on in that thread was the ENS airdrop, which I think is the most well-executed airdrop we've seen uh, in this industry to date. So for those that don't know, the ENS is, stands for the Ethereum name service. And it's basically like the DNS uh, that you have on the internet, all your .com domains and so on. Um, but on Ethereum. So it's a way to basically tie uh, a, a, a human legible uh, name um, to your Ethereum address and then build basically a whole profile on your Ethereum address. It's a great service to the ecosystem. It's grown in popularity in 2022. And after five years that it's been in development, um, they actually gave ownership to the community they moved to a DAO model. And then as they did that, they also did an airdrop to reward previous users, but not only to reward, but to make them stakeholders in the newly minted DAO that will be kind of the structure that will make decisions about the future of uh, the Ethereum name service. And so we saw incredible participation uh, in the happenings around the DAO. Uh, we saw actually a lot of people holding on to their ENS. Um, we saw a lot of delegates, including Coinbase, um, uh, uh, come forward and, and, and put themselves uh, and make themselves available uh, as uh, potential sort of stewards uh, of the protocol. And we also saw registrations of names, uh, I think double or triple, right after the airdrop happened, right? And like, the interesting thing is that these, uh, when, when you mint a name, you pay some ETH uh, to the protocol, for the service, like securing your um, your name for um, several years. And then a bunch of those fees would always go to the treasury. The treasury was bootstrapped with some value already before they even actually gave it out to give ownership to the DAO. And then things moved forward from that. So by launching that token, they raised awareness for the Ethereum name service and then through um, uh, new names registration that like absolutely skyrocketed. And then the trend was actually persistent. It wasn't just one month and then, and then dissipate. I think it persists, uh, uh, even, even today, they actually spun that flywheel even harder. Right. And then, you know, more treasury growth and that treasury is governed by DNS token holders, which makes it more of an incentive to actually be one and participate in the protocol and so on. So I just think that you know this this one is uh like an absolutely amazing case study for anyone thinking about you know building protocols and then exiting or uh, giving ownership to the community um and so on i'm going to break it down into a story sorry you know me like i'm just trying to i'm like i um take out a jerk yeah take out the jargon and tell a story which is that like um so uh i was trying to tell my sister the difference between like web two, web three tokens, incentives. And she was like, Catherine, these words make no sense in my head. Like, what are you talking about? Um, so, so then I was like, okay, so my sister is like kind of a power user of Robinhood. Um, and she's been like 
you know, obviously, like, she buys stock on it, and she's a big user of it. And this was all before, like, Robinhood went public, right? And, and like, or in the process of going public. And I was telling her, I was like, um, so, you know, Maggie, you are a power user of Robinhood. And I was like, oh, you also know that power, uh, Robinhood is going public. And she was like, yes. Um, and I was like, okay, what if, um, like, technically, Robinhood is, like, doing all this volume. They're, like, able to go public, actually, because of users like you because you trade on it and like that's good for them and like that's a good number right like that's that helps them like kind of like on that path to going public she's like okay so i'm like so technically they're really uh the growth is off your really like your back right the user's back which is like the the time you spend on it like what you do on it um so imagine like on the path to going public what they decide to do is actually we're going to go back and go to our power users and go to all our users who like let us you know get to the stage and like give them some stock like on the day of ipo and all of a sudden in her mind, she was like, oh, wait, like, actually, that makes sense, right? Like, again, like uh, a company or like a protocol, you really can't get anywhere without your users. And so like, it almost seems at this point a little bit more like so obvious that like, yeah, of course, like you should reward your users who like um, got you to this place. So anyways, uh, that's a long story, but I I think it was like a aha moment for her, um, which made me realize that like, uh, it's actually not so hard of a concept to like, wrap your head around. And there's another sort of hidden dynamic with that, like the more it becomes the norm that you will, or like a successful protocol will down the line reward the user, whether it is reward or give them ownership or in whichever way you cut it, it creates the expectation that other things will. And that's like a double-edged sword because on the one hand, it incentivizes the community to add to the protocol, right? Add value well, by creating content, by doing governance proposals, by bringing like all sorts of value into uh, uh, the communal sort of uh, entity. But at the same time, it also creates adverse incentives and pressure for entrepreneurs to like start thinking about that, right? Um, and yes, you could, you know, never end up launching a token and so on and that could very well work but the calculus is completely different uh in 2022 than it was in the beginning of of 2021 where you know airdrops were you know few and far between and definitely uh not the norm given all the themes you see happening in 2021 and sort of the way the industry is moving and going what are the challenges we're going to hit in 2022 what are the big obstacles that crypto has to overcome to achieve its growth I was having a conversation yesterday and, you know, about 2022 and how 2022 is going to go. And I was compelled to say something like 2022 is going to be an uneventful year uh, because and not uneventful in in the sense that nothing is going to happen, but it will be very it feels that it will be very tough to match kind of like the excitement and the exuberance of all these new things that we discovered in uh in 2021 there's actually a lot of work to do right there's a lot of work to do on the on the infrastructure level so uh scaling those environments uh preventing them from from spam uh and and kind of like sustainably allowing them to grow and new users to trickle in is one of the biggest challenges in uh, uh at least in the infrastructure space right and like on on the bed that all of this activity uh rests um upon so that's one one of one of the charts that was kind of the most surprising for
for me in, in, in the review of the year was the fact that, you know, yes, EVM the standard, yes, like a lot of options. And so the demand for EVM block space is increasing and there's a lot of uh, challenger, uh, 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 Ethereum killers that have EVM compatibility springing up left and right in all kinds of ecosystems. In the Tendermint ecosystem, Evmos is going to be launching. Moonbeam has already launched and will be fully functional in a few weeks in the Polkadot ecosystem. Solana is launching an EVM compatible uh, environment. And then there's like, you know, Ethereum sidechains like Polygon um, and, and Binance Smart Chain, for example. Um, and we saw that these two can reach their limits. Like Avalanche needed to rethink how gas works uh, on, on their C chain, which is the EVM compatible environment of, of Avalanche because they got spammed with tons of transactions. Polygon had moments where they got spammed with tons of transactions. So um, figuring out how we can sustainably kind of grow uh, the you know block space in general, but also like EVM block space specifically, I think will be one of the main challenges of 2022. And as you get, you know, more excitement and more use cases and so on, it's usually kind of like in, in ecosystem and industry development sort of curves, it's usually where the infrastructure gaps are starting to really show. And so when I'm saying that it's not going to be a super exciting year in 2022, it's because like a lot of work is going to happen in the background. I don't mind the like boring phase because I don't know. There's like, you know, isn't that they're saying it's like you can't build a plane and fly a plane at the same time. And like, it's probably kind of nice that we land the plane a little bit and start building it again so that we can fly faster or something. Um, sorry, that's a terrible metaphor, but you know what I'm saying? Um, I We've never talked about the concept of EVM compatibility on the podcast, um, but I think it's a really like nice narrative. So basically like EVM, uh, compatibility means that like developers on Ethereum can really deploy any smart contract to like any other blockchains. Uh, that's like the high level explanation. Basically, like if one wins, everyone else wins too, right? Which is that like, sure, like if you want to deploy, you want to build on Ethereum in the past, there wasn't like a tech, it wasn't technically feasible to also deploy onto other ecosystems. Whereas like I, I'm excited for this like building plane phase because I think as we get better cross-chain solutions, as interoperability gets better, um, that's a net positive for I think like all the innovation that's happening in crypto, like collectively. And there's not like a one win and like another one loses. I actually think it's like a plus one for like everyone. And you can see that this is this is where where we're heading to, right? Like um I mean TVL is a very uh um controversial metric. TVL stands for total value locked, and it's basically the value of assets locked in a certain protocol, right? And then you can aggregate across protocols that exist on a chain. You can come up with that ecosystem's total value locked. Now, as coarse as that may be, it is a sign of adoption. And kind of like the, the one of the most sort of uh, eye-opening uh, uh, stats from, from, from the thread was... The idea that, okay, like Ethereum is getting picked apart, there's like uh, uh, challengers kind of trying to claim users and asset value away from Ethereum and so on. But then when you kind of like zoom out a little bit and look at how much of that TVL is actually running on EVM rails, it's something like still 85% or so. And Ethereum represents like a ton of that uh, asset value still, right? Um, so I don't think the genie is going 
back in the bottle. But what happens when you have uh, different types of functionality living in different kinds of environments that are totally native to um, um, to that environment? So there isn't a huge uh, 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 media uh, scene in New York. There is one in Los Angeles, and there isn't a huge tech scene in St. Louis. There is in San Francisco, and so you users, as people do in like real life, they will need highways and and airplanes to be able to move from one place to the other to be able to access all these different types of utility and. That space, this network of highways and airplanes and trains, and it's underdeveloped at at the moment, right? Like we, this year was the year that we really started seeing the need for it. Well, interoperability, which is the ability for a lot of chains of different standards to talk to one another, has been part of the conversation since at least as far as I remember 2017, probably before that. Um, 2021 was the year that we really kind of saw the need for it. And now it's kind of the interoperability in the multi-chain present, not the multi-chain future. And there's a lot to be built in that uh, paradigm to actually make things work seamlessly. So it's all happening all at once. Um, I think it's a great framing for it. We're super lucky to have you, by the way, at Bison Trails and doing all the awesome work uh, for them. Yeah. And also great to have you on the podcast. I mean, I think it's great to hear your perspective on what's happening from somebody who really is a protocol specialist and can help us see around the corners too. Thank you so much, guys. This was super fun. So we covered a ton of topics today. A lot of them are fairly technical, and I know we haven't totally covered all of them before on the podcast. So if there are any concepts that any listeners out there want us to dig into further, let us know, uh, comment, uh, tweet at us. Um, We'd love to dive into anything uh, alongside all of you. So let us know. And once again, thank you all for tuning in to Around the Block by Coinbase. Um, Feel free to check us out wherever you get it, whether it's on YouTube or Spotify or anywhere else. Yeah. And also be sure to check out our website, coinbase.com slash around the block where we have a list of all our prior episodes and long-form research on interesting crypto topics and trends. So we'll see y'all next week. Today's conversation is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Actual results may vary materially from any forward-looking statements made and are subject to risks and uncertainties.